This is the MLW Radio Network. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening and good night. My name is Thomas and what's your name? Uh, I'm Alan. Alan. Oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. We're brothers. That's right. Yeah. yeah the mother, same mother and father. Your room was... Oh, we shared a room. Shared a room. We right. shared a room. thought I knew your face. Yeah, we go maybe? way back, mate. Yeah. yeah. We should do a podcast then. Uh, we have. We do, we do a podcast. We do a podcast. What's it called? The Brocast. Yeah, that was planned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, what do we do? Well, we cover all different things in the world of pop culture. We're talking about comic books, we're talking about professional wrestling, and we're talking about movies. Go back and watch classic retro wrestling events, the likes of WWE, WCW, and if you do like that, you can check us out on Apple iTunes, also on Podbean, Anchor, and on Podknife. Also check us out on Twitter, at The Broadcast. That's B-R-O. Okay, yeah, hey, the ending. Hey, it's all right. Good on you. Yeah. Instagram also at the Broadcast Podcast. Remember, we don't spell it with a C. We spell it with a K. Sorry, mate. Take it easy. It is Future Stars Now. My name is Mike Freeland. It's a special night. It is not Friday night. Kids, it's Tuesday night, but we're coming to you for a very special reason. And it has nothing to do with me. It definitely has nothing to do with my follically challenged friend. Nope. But but let me ask you, Rit, real quick, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing really well. I'm really excited about this guest. You know, I messaged him, we worked something out, and man, I cannot wait till we get to bring him in. It's so interesting. When we get a chance to talk to people, um, it's awesome to know what their involvement in wrestling was. But I think it's also even more of a cherry on top when we get to find out more about them as an individual. And I feel like that's what really connects wrestling fans to wrestling personalities. You get an opportunity during these interviews to find out, you know what, they like what I like, or they are really human. It's not just somebody that I see on TV. These people are just like everyone else, yet they live some of the most exciting lives. And tonight we get to bring you yet another story of somebody Mr. Kerry Silken joins us tonight. Yes, and uh, well, let's let's just bring him in. Let's do it, Mr. Silken. It is so good to see you, my friend. Thank you for coming on the program. Rit, Mike, thank you for having me on. It's about time. <laughs> well, it, it, it should have happened a while ago, but delay this pandemic, that you know, just little things. But anyway, we're here tonight. We are here tonight. We're here to talk about you. We're here to talk about your career, everything that you've done within wrestling. Also, get a chance to hear a little bit about your personal life as well along the way. But the first thing I always like to ask people is, how are you? How are the loved ones doing? Uh, hopefully, everyone's staying healthy and safe. Uh, hopefully, this this pandemic is winding down. But you guys have made it through pretty well? Yeah. Um, I'm fortunate. Listen, I the, the way I lived... You know, back back in the day, I hate when twenty five year old kids say "back in the day." <laughs> they don't have no day, you know. So yeah, the, the you know the, there there's a mountain missing in Peru that was sort of went up my nose. <laughs> That's all right. That was then. Um, but yeah, I'm doing well, and thank you for asking. Uh, I've survived this pandemic, this crazy ass time, um, and. Uh, I'm feeling good, and I'm happy to be here with you guys. And how you guys feeling? 
Hey, you know what? If I was any better, I'd be a twin or about 50 pounds less. But you know what? Neither one of those is happening. So I'm okay. Right on. So let's kind of get into it here. Ring of Honor has been such a staple in, in pro wrestling. And it has been one of those promotions that has really been respected. I mean, you're, you have your ECWs. You have your TNAs, your Impacts, whatever you like to refer to them as. But Ring of Honor has always been one of those places that if you made it through Ring of Honor or you went through Ring of Honor, that was a big feather in your cap as far as just your legacy. And you were a huge part of Ring of Honor. So instead of talking about just Ring of Honor right now, kind of walk us through the genesis of how did Kerry Silken get involved in wrestling and how did that, you know, turn out to be something where you then became involved in this thing called Ring of Honor that we're so familiar with today? Well, like most people, there's very, and you guys have known enough people and have spoken to enough people that there's very few exceptions of guys that are, you know, wrestlers. I'm talking about the biggest of the big to the rookiest to the rookiest that did not start as wrestling fans. Mm -hmm. And I started my journey. Oh God, does this make me, doesn't make <laughs> me sound old. I am old. I started my journey in pro wrestling through my cousin, Mike, who's still involved in my life. Um, in 1966, I was 10 years old and, it, and uh, I lived in New Jersey. Where are you guys? Pennsylvania. I am in the Queen City of Cincinnati. All right. Well, in 1966, wrestling was on Channel 9, WOR, yep. for two hours from the wrestling capital of the world, Washington, D.C. And immediately I was hooked. I loved it. I started scouring the town, my hometown. I was in Jersey for the various wrestling magazines. And I would buy anything um, that said wrestling on it. And uh, I wanted to go to Madison Square Garden, right? But I found out from reading the magazines that they had these, these blue laws, which included no female, res female wrestlers, no gimmick matches like cage matches or chain matches. But the one that was the worst was you had to be 14 years old. Oh, wow. To, to attend boxing and wrestling. And it was enforced at the garden, but it was not enforced at Sunnyside Gardens in Queens. And my, my uncle Henry, he knew the promoter, uh, so-called promoter of Sunnyside, this guy Manny Hecklin. So on January 2nd, a Saturday afternoon, my dad, God bless him, he took me and my cousin Mike, who I spoke about, and one of his friends to Sunnyside. I saw live wrestling. What a what a what a classic opening bout. Arnold Stolen against Johnny Ross. Oh my gosh. Wow. Right. And the main events, uh, I should print something out, but amongst the main events were Spiros Arion, uh Bull Ortega, Tank Morgan, but I loved it. And uh, that started my journey. As far as the garden, I got to go for my 14th. My dad 
what a good dude he was. He hated wrestling. <laughs> he liked real sports. He was a Yankee fan. He was Ooh. a big time basketball fan. He liked the New York Giants. You know, if you're not raised as a Yankee fan, it's easy to hate them. I get it. But I, I saw the end of Mickey Mantle. I saw, you know, I, I he took me to the garden, the, the new garden, the Rangers, Rangers games. And uh, so for my 14th birthday, November, it was exactly the date, November 15th, 1971. We got tickets, he got tickets, and my favorite guy was wrestling, Freddie Blassie <laughs> against Pedro Morales. And we went to the garden and it was magic. So when Blassie come, you know, the crowd at the time was 90% Latino, 95% <laughs> Puerto Rican, that's the way it was. And when Blassie came out, I stood up, and my father grabs me literally <laughs> by the pants. He goes, you're going to get us killed here. Yeah. But yeah, and the, the journey continued. I, I kept my eye on wrestling. I started going all through the 70s into the 80s. I had my peak. You know that thing where you want to go to wrestling, but you can't find anyone to go with you? Yes. <laughs> so... I made I made it through that through that period and I always kept my eye on it. And uh did I ever really think about getting in the business? Not really. But um in 1999, and I was a faithful ECW fan. I had mm -hmm. six front row seats. That's where I met Gabe. That's Gabe's where I met Doug yep. Gentry. Yep. And anyway, um in, in 99, third time I'm bringing him up, my cousin Mike G. Are you, you guys metal fans by any chance? Yeah. I, the Rit is. Metal uh, magazine, Metal Maniacs. Yes. Metal Edge. Yep. That was Mike Greenblatt, Mike G, my cousin. Nice. So he was writing for those, for them. He was writing a country thing. He was also doing Wrestling World which was under the same banner of magazines. So we went to Puerto Rico on vacation. And I said, they got a really good wrestling scene here. Yeah, I know. But I was more of the nerd. So we got in touch with Victor Quinones. Yes. And we went and saw the wrestling. And guys, it was like a throwback. Here we are in the year 1999 or 2000. And it was like going back to the garden in 73. Wow. It was just baby face, heel, everyone believed what was going on, or at least made believe they did. And uh, I had this crazy idea. I told my cousin, hey, you're in the magazine business. Does your, does your company distribute magazines in Puerto Rico? These are the music. He's like, yeah. You know, why don't we do a wrestling magazine in Spanish? For the Porter, because because you had IWA, which is Victor Pinones, yep. with Dutch Mantel and Luke Williams as the booker, and then you had Carlos Colon, mm -hmm. Victor Jovica. So we actually did four episodes of Lucha Libre de Puerto Rico. Wow! And that was my intro 
technically into the business. And at the same time, that we put out, guys, we put out a whopping four issues in two years. You've heard of my bi-monthly? We were bi-annually. <laughs> <laughs> but um, at the same time, I heard from Gabe, and I knew I knew when ECW went under, those guys were going to start something. So I asked them if they needed my help, and they didn't. All right, fine. So about 10 months into that original Ring of Honor run, they came to me for money. And I got in, and there was a little scandal along the way. And I wound up being the sole owner of Ring of Honor. I never wanted to be. But we, we made it through some murky waters. And um, we, we came out of 2004. I mean, we did the impossible. We, we, we were just so dead and so blighted or stained. But thank God for CM Punk, Samoa Joe, Nigel McGuinness, Austin Aries, Low Key, I'm leaving out names here, Brian Kendricks, Paul London, Christopher Daniels. And uh, as soon as that stink started blowing away, and it took like a year, um, everybody forgot about the bullshit that happened. And uh, there we were. Then we got approached by Pro Wrestling Noah. Yep. And we got to go to, to uh, um, London twice, Liverpool, and got to go to Japan twice. And uh, giving you a long answer to a short question. Let me ask you this question. So as an owner, how, you know, we often hear about promotions having relationships with other promotions. Carrie, how does that actually start? Is it just one promotion is interested and they say, they, they make the phone call, hey, I'm interested, X, Y, Z, or is it something where you're already familiar with uh, the people in charge on the other side and you just kind of talk and shop and say, hey, how about we do this? How exactly does that happen and how did you come to the decision that, you know what, this would be a good fit for us? Well, this might sound unbelievable because it does sound unbelievable. Gabe comes up to me one day and said, Gabe Spolsky says, Carrie, the guys from Noah want to fly here and talk to us. I'm like, really? And I wasn't as astute in my Japanese wrestling but I knew that they were, you know, at the time they were doing really, really well, even ahead of New Japan. So these guys from Noah came to Edison, New Jersey. And uh, <laughs> I don't know if they ever went to any shows there at the old uh, Inman skating rink. But anyway, there we are talking to the guys from Noah. And their idea was to get an American presence. They wanted to fill matches with uh, Marafuchi and Kenta and later uh, Morishima and show them in Japan. The problem was it was very expensive. You know, they didn't want to just fork over the money for the um, the visa, the work visas. You know, the travel is expensive, but we worked something out and. Um, it was crazy. There we are, partnered with Noah. And it's sort of at the same time, post-stink, 
we had Mick Foley and Ricky Steamboat with us together for like seven cards. Wow. And that really gave us some credibility. And um, as far as your question, it just happened. You know, uh, they approached us. We worked out this deal. And, you know, the, the, the uh, I don't want to generalize, but the Japanese are very strong on loyalty and honesty, which is a good thing. And uh, by 2007, they wanted us to come to Japan. Obviously, we couldn't sell any tickets on our own, but the guys from NOAA, and also we struck up a relationship with Dragon Gate, or Gabe did, and uh, they weren't quite as nice as NOAA, but that's another story. But um, anyway, there we are in 2007, going to Japan to do one show with Noah and one show at Dragon Gate. It's like a, it's like I'm still waking up from the dream, guys. So with all of that going on, you know, post-Stink, um, we don't even need, need to go into all that, but I think that's a lot right there. I think having the horses, if you will, and then having somebody like Gabe, and then being able to start building something at that point in time, when you had that relationship with Noah, did you feel like, you know, we're really going to start to turn the corner on this pretty quickly? Not really, because financially it was always a loser. Always. You know, the business was based at that time on DVD sales. Right. And um, can I turn my TV off? It just popped on or is that going to screw this up? That's fine. Do whatever you need. Hang on. You know, it's interesting because when Carrie came into Ring of Honor, um, I think a lot of you guys may know that as he mentions before, there was a lot of there was a lot of turmoil. And I think when you're trying to make the move past something like that, especially with a product. It can be very difficult, especially when most of your revenue is coming from DVD sales and you really have to make a big splash. And I think that one, at least in my opinion, as far as the history books are written, was a really big one. But with that being said, continue, Kerry. We never, ever, ever made any money. So in other words, oh, oh how do you say that, Carrie? You had 1,500 people, WrestleMania weekend, two nights in Chicago. Yeah, we might have made money on that little thing, but between the office staff, the editors of the DVD, Gabe, um, plus the wrestlers, it just was never a profitable thing. You know, I was involved in the ticket business, and I still am a little but I started, guys, I started on the mid-80s on the streets of New York. And eventually I started working in these ticket offices. And um, I opened my own place in 98. And um, I got lucky. Hey, remember in high school they would have those awards like, ooh, prettiest girl. Oh, ooh, absolutely. Most, most likely to succeed. Yes. Best athlete. Well, guess what? If they would have had a most unlikely to succeed, it would have been me. No, come yes, on. Yes, yes. I was a mess. But um, anyway, I straightened up my act. 
the ticket business was okay. The uh, when I when I got full ownership of Ring of Honor, fortunately I, I wasn't married and had or had kids, so the ticket business was able to fund ROH. But it was ridiculous. I mean, uh, I, I was going to say a high school kid, a grammar school kid that knew math would have said to me, well, I don't think this is a good business. <laughs> You're just losing. But due to my passion, due to my ego, and the other thing was, I knew we had a good product. I knew it. And so I kept it alive. And we're talking 2006, 2007. Now we're going into eight. And it's like, I couldn't find any buyers. And uh, despite as cool as the product might have been at the time, and the DVD sales were robust, just couldn't make any money. But I, I wouldn't let go. There were some talks with a few people over the years. None of them were uh, solid. And thank God for Jim Cornette and Gary Juster, who knew Joe Cobb from Sinclair. And not to interrupt you, not to interrupt you, but um, Gary Jester, uh, I had some dealings with him and I got to know him uh, up in WWE, actually. Gary's a good man. Yes. Despite what Jim says about it. <laughs> <laughs> but they knew each other and Gary knew Joe Koff. Mm -hmm. There was a thing in the 80s, way before your time, called the Battle of the Belts. Absolutely. And it was run on like 12 affiliates in Florida. And, and Joe was a young man. He went to wrestling in, you know, in the Buddy Rogers era. And uh, they got us together. And it took 12 months to get the deal done. Um, it, it, it's crazy, guys. The corporate, you know, and, and the amount of money they were offering was like, what? So, but they're sticking flashlights in your nose, up your butt, and everywhere else. <laughs> Just, you know, the due, due diligence, Yes. Right? But uh, we finally got the deal done, and uh, that was May 2011. I was still there as the ambassador, and um, you know what? Joe Kopp gets knocked a lot, and the Ring of Honor, Sinclair Brass gets not knocked a lot. But to keep that product alive under a corporate structure, people don't realize like the bullshit that, you know, these guys are hearing, you know, and there's lawsuits by wrestlers and knuckleheads. And they're like, what is this? So I give Joe a lot of credit keep you know plus when the pandemic came everybody got paid i was gonna say everybody got paid it's it's, it's unheard of but anyway it all led up to uh the recent announcement by tony khan and i spoke to joe a number of times nothing is settled except that it's sold and uh Joe would say the thing. Joe would say the same thing. I think we're in better hands now, because if Joe, if it was just Joe's company, but it's not. These guys right. in corporate are breathing down his neck. So, 
here we are in 2022. And uh, like I said to Bobby Cruz, our longtime ring announcer, it's like we just got a heart transplant. Yep. So we'll see what happens. So, so many things, obviously, you were involved in, you know, and still are to this day. But with Ring of Honor, we've learned that management, owners, they have to wear so many hats. And you would probably put in a 14, 16, 20-hour day. What are some of the things that you had to do on a daily basis? Like, your laundry list of things had to have been really, really long. Tell us just a little bit about what a day in the life of Kerry Silken would be um, 2005, 2006, things are really starting to, to come well, along here. It's a good question, Mike. And I always fancied my, you know, like when you see a movie, oh, produced by Cecil B. DeMille, now we're going way back, produced by Martin Scorsese, right? I fancied myself as a producer mm -hmm. that I'd get the best people to work backstage, like Gabe. Um, then we brought in some production. And even though it was rudimentary, it brought us out of the indie look. Like if you look at some 2003 early ROH shows mm -hmm. and you look at 2004, it's like, it's not like, you know, AEW, but we had good lighting, curtains and I, I have a rock and roll background from going to shows and working as a half-assed lighting guy on some small, like, uh, club shows. But I understood. And I remember the first time we brought in the lights. And uh, Gabe says to me, and Gabe's a rock and roller. He says, Carrie, we don't need the lighting. I said, I said Gabe, who's your favorite band? He goes, well, I don't know, Slayer, Rush. I go, what happens when the concert starts? Well, the lights go out. I go, what happens when the lights go out? Well, the people pop. Yep. So even at a movie, right? Mm -hmm. so we brought in the lighting and it only took one night and game was like, this is the best. <laughs> and slowly we, you know, slowly we added some entranceway lighting. And you guys will remember this. Remember the metal barricades? Yes. Mm -hmm right? That would give people incentive to buy front row, right? Yep. It, it, Sid came up with those. And um, so I wanted to produce it. And uh, most of my life, Mike, was dealing with the tickets and trying to buy the right tickets so I could give the money away to ring them on. But yeah, uh, I left it up to Gabe. I left it up to the guys in the office, Sid. And um just, just try to, just try to oversee it in the eyes of a producer. Well, Carrie, in my opinion, that point, that point in time of Ring of Honor is some of the best wrestling matches that I can ever remember. And I want to know what made, like, how did you make it different from everything else that we've seen? Your WWE. Uh, your impact or TNA wrestling. So, you know, the pure wrestling is what was completely different at the time. I, you know, you're right. And it was a combination of this little 
half-assed but not so bad production. Gabe had a great eye for talent. And the pure division, having Brian Danielson, having Samoa Joe, having Nigel, having Jerry Lynn, having pain in the ass, Austin Aries. <laughs> and if he heard this, he'd be like, yeah, he's, he would smile. But yeah, um, we had a really good roster. And we, had, we had such good matches. I also used to like to bring the legends in. We would have Carnet. We had Bruno. We had Bill Watts. We had Bobby Heenan. Um, <clears throat> Dusty Rhodes. Harley Race. We respected wrestling history, which is something that's really, well, AEW does it a bit, but uh, there's no such thing as history in WWE. But we respected that. And it, it was a great, I think it was a great fan experience. I think that was the magic. Felt like a family. Carrie, would you also say that any successful product has to have some level of combination between um, a prior generations and current generations for the simple fact that you want to bring in people who have been fans for so long, but then also incorporate the newer generation as well, instead of just doing this, this straight cutoff, you know, because you want to have that crossover, right? Where some people who love certain things and they love certain personalities, hey, bring them back into the fold. And while they're there, they can catch some of these other stars as well. So I feel like there's a lot of success that can be used with mixing those two genres. Would you agree? Absolutely. And you know what? Listening to you say that, I've never really heard it expressed like that. You know, when I was just telling you about Bruno and Bill Watts and Dusty Rhodes. Um, but like, like your statement was, or question was about mixing the generations. Um, it's hard to do, you know, we had a certain kind of crowd, you know, young men in black t-shirts and very few females. But when you bring, when you bring in a Bruno San Martino, when you bring in a Bobby Heenan or a Harley race, or, or pathetic Ric Flair. That's another story. Or Bret Hart. Yeah, you're, you're getting people in the door to see your product. You know, that's why you still see these shows to this day with, you know, how don't you think everyone in the world has gotten Greg the Hammer Valentine's autograph? I guess not. <laughs> so, yeah, um, good theory. But it was hard to do. Right. You only had those special occasions. In other words, the guy that came to see Bruno at the Hammerstein might not come the next time. Right. Good question. It's interesting when we when we look at wrestling, it seems like it, there's always that ebb and flow, meaning it's super hot and then it gets kind of cool for a while. And then you get that one person who comes around who really starts to light something on fire. Back in the day, it was the territories, right? Somebody would come through, somebody would really, really be hot. It would drive up the crowds, drive up the ticket sales, and things would be great. Who would you say, in your opinion, um, during those early days of Ring of Honor, was there someone that you saw that said, you know what, this guy 
is going, we're, we're going to strap the rocket to them because right now I see something in them that I think is, is phenomenal. Absolutely. And you know, the answers are sort of obvious. It was CM Punk and Samoa Joe. And the problem was the whole time and through my entire tenure through 2011, we knew that the attrition rate was, was, you know, very strong to these guys leaving. So, you know, we lost Punk. I forget, I always forget. We lost Joe to TNA. We lost Punk. But you can't be mad at these guys. I no. mean, they want to go to the next level. And you know what? I never once, like I would have Roderick Strong come up to me. Hey, Carrie, I got a chance for a, a WWE tryout this week. I got go, go, you know, just go. So as far as the attrition rate, losing Punk and Joe, losing uh, whomever, the, the, it was a laundry list. The thing that we learned or I learned was that it opened up space for other people. Yep. So at the time of Joe and Punk leaving, Aries was there. Nigel started. Brian, thank God Brian Danielson stayed with us till 2009. Talk about the, 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 the true Babe Ruth of Ring of Honor <laughs> was him. He And then speaking of 2009, um, despite the fact that I was used to this attrition, on the same night in New York City in September of 2009, and we knew this, we simultaneously in one night were doing farewells for Brian and Nigel. And like many times before this, they put, you know, like the Thanksgiving fork, they put the fork in us. So like, what are we going to do? And this is when Adam Pierce was booking. And I said to Adam, um, we got to, we got to do something. So we got homicide as a surprise, but Jim Carnett either quit or got fired from TNA. And I was on a good basis with him. And I called him up and we had a show in Dayton about two weeks before in New York. I said, Jim, what do you think? And he thought about it. He, he met with us after the Dayton show. We met some Applebee's like 20 miles away, him and Stacy. And he's like, it makes sense. And we snuck him in that building. And so before the, uh, after the intermission, the opening of the second half was Coronet coming out. They played the Alice Cooper song, No More Than Mr. Nice Guy, for like <laughs> two and a half minutes. And I'm going like, where the fuck is he? <laughs> but he was there and uh between jim and homicide it was like a little magic trick and as much as the people hated seeing brian and nigel leave they're like look at this so we went on from there tyler black was coming up jimmy jacobs was so good B.J. Wimber was so good. Roderick Strong was so good. 
Necro Butcher was so good. And I'm leaving at Delirious. And I'm leaving at the Briscoes. How do we have a Ring of Honor, Ring of Honor conversation? And I'm finally mentioning the Briscoes. So we, you know, we we had a good crew and uh we moved on and past 2009, Davy Davy Richards, Eddie Edwards, the beginning of Adam Cole, Kyle O'Reilly, um, Jim brought in Haas and Benjamin, which which I knew it was good. Some of the Ring of Honor fans, oh, the WWE, these guys were good, but uh, we were always able to uh, turn the clock, you know, swing the bat whatever, hit the ball, something like that. And uh, by the time the sale was finally done, um, it was in good hands. You know, I mean, um, Sinclair bought, it's funny, Sinclair bought a whole roster of guys, Colt Cabana, the aforementioned names, and I'm leaving so many out. Um, Kenny King, um, Rhett Titus, so on and so forth. So they were buying that and they had their TV stations. So it was a nice deal for them. And it's funny in the end when they sold it, and I spoke to Joe Koff a number of times, and I said to Joe, wouldn't it have made more sense just to keep the library? So that when when they bought it from me, they had 75 stations. Now they have almost 200. Wow. What would be wrong with putting on best of best of Tyler Black for the month of May, best of the Briscoes for June, yes. best cage matches, blah, 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 blah. And they would have an hour of TV basically at no cost. You're talking an editor. And a wraparound guy like Ian Riccoboni. Right. And uh, Joe says, I agree with you, but they just want to get rid of it. Wow. Man. So, I don't know if I answered your question. I, I, I tried my best. <laughs> Man, Carrie, uh, sitting there and comparing Ring of Honor, I always compared him to ECW because Paul Heyman. When people left, okay, thanks for helping us. You did your part. Next man up. And Ring of Honor, I always felt it was the exact same way. You know, thanks for what you did. You helped us out along the way. Now who's going to step up and take the ball, you know? Well, your tag team division was impeccable. You know, the kings of wrestling, Claudio, Chris I Hero. Guess. How can I not, not so, mention uh, Claudio this whole yeah. conversation? You know, I'm embarrassed. Kevin Steen and El Generico. How can I know? not mention Steen or, or Generico? <laughs> yeah, look, look, like. How can I, I not mention Bobby Cruz? How can I not mention Todd Sinclair? Go ahead. Uh, yeah, but like one of my favorite matches ever was your concept of ladder wars. And like. I, I, I get speechless when I sit there and watch those matches. Like, how did you come come up about with like some of the match styles to differentiate from other competition? Yeah, that was all um, whoever was booking at the time. 
It was. I'm not, I'm not going to take credit for things I didn't do. Mm-hmm. Now, um, wh- what years are you talking about, man? Oh, it had to be, let's see. It had to be, I want to say 2011-ish, like mid-2011. Yeah, that would be Coronet and Delirious. You know, and then going ahead into the Sinclair era, let's not forget the uh, the Hardy Boys Bucks ladder match. Oh my gosh! In, in uh, what was it, Orlando or New Orleans, whatever. But yeah, so much good stuff. So much good stuff. I'm so proud of these guys. How did we not mention? Oh, I did mention them, but I'll mention them again. I, I had I had coffee this weekend with Seth Rollins and uh, Kevin Kevin Steen, mm-hmm. and. Uh, I'm so happy for these guys. I'm so proud of them. And they were in Allentown, sort of near where I live. And uh, I went for coffee and uh, it was just so great seeing them. You know, these guys are so successful and they're so talented. And when we were leaving, I said to these guys, I got to tell you something. They're like, what? I go, I still feel bad that I really wasn't able to pay you the what you really should have got. I'm not talking about WWE money. I'm talking mm-hmm. about not that I not that I you know lowballed them, but I would you know because you guys put your bodies on the on the line. I mean, every night or whenever we had shows, and they're like, "Stop it! What are you talking about?" But um. Yeah, so many good guys. And and there was a pride about Ring of Honor. Just, you know, there was just this, uh, just like, you know, in the back and in the front, you know, just to let's, you know, let, you know it's like, uh, who is that? Like, Newt, I'll go back 100 years. What was that, Newt Rockney? Let, let, yes. Let's for the Gipper. Yep. It was that feeling. And same with the fans. They felt like they were part of something. And even into the Sinclair era. And uh, it's really cool. When I, when I watch, whether it's WWE or AEW, and I went to AEW in Atlantic City a few weeks ago, a month ago, and to my beloved Bucks, they're like my West Coast sons, and Kyle and Bobby Fish and Colt Cabana and Punk, and Brian and Hangman and uh, Matt Seidel and my my main man Jay Lethal. It's like, and I'm leaving out Frankie Kazarian, Christopher Daniels, QT Marshall, um, Serena Deeb. So so many, and uh, I, I'm glad I was able to give them a platform. I often think if Ring of Honor, if, if in 2007 I said, that's it, I feel a lot of these guys would have made it, but at least Ring of Honor gave them a platform to perform on that WWE was and, and TNA were absolutely watching. No, I, I agree with you completely. When you When you look at the names you had just mentioned, and you look at their body of work in Ring of Honor, that 100% had everything to do 
with them once they got the opportunity to, as you said before, take that next step. It was because of what you guys put together. It's because of the production. It's because of the way everyone works so well to put each show. And yeah, I think some of those guys would have succeeded. Now, did it help having such a strong machine behind them with a bunch of dedicated people? Uh, absolutely, it did. I think, you know, when I talked to Jerry, and Jerry loves Ring of Honor. Um, Jerry has what always said. He is. He, he is. In the media world, it's a WYSIWYG. What you see is what you get. And he's just one of those people who he, he gets it. He understands. But um, there's not usually a whole lot of humility in wrestling. Uh, we, we've met a ton of people. And uh, humility isn't always something that uh, is a staple. But some of the people that you've mentioned and some of the people we've had a chance to talk to have that. Absolutely, they have that. I mean, Silas Young has been incredibly gracious to us. PCO has been incredibly gracious to us. So many people. It's just as if the people from Ring of Honor are cut from a different cloth. Mike, you're embarrassing me leaving for me leaving these names out. But go yeah. ahead. You, you are fine. Coleman, Ian Riccoboni. I mean, these are like, go ahead, go ahead. It's just, it's one of those things where you don't get that because I've heard stories about the way thing were, things were in TNA, um, obviously before they went over to to Don Callis and um, Scott Demore. Right. But they wouldn't have gotten treated that same way. They wouldn't have gotten those opportunities to cut their teeth and to really hone their skills unless there was a place like Ring of Honor for them. And it meant so much. And I think that's why all these people, they continue to come back and they continue to pay homage and they show respect. Uh, I call it Ring of Honor V1 and uh, everybody past that is, is Ring of Honor V2. And to be able to go to AEW, it's got to be a tremendous feeling to see your family, uh, your extended family, not Absolutely. biological, out there still doing it and still being so grateful for what you guys have provided for them. Yes, it's it's wonderful. And once again, you know that people say not to be redundant, to be redundant. Just seeing Kevin and uh, Tyler Sunday, and it's not like I've seen them like every time they come through town, like, you know, I've seen them probably like every other year, but that's good. And uh, yeah. Um, they're grateful. And sometimes, you know, like you can't see the forest from the trees. Sometimes I'm like, did I do the right thing? Um, it, it was like a synergy, like, you know, one plus one equals three. So it, it just, it just was there. And uh, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that Tony Khan Take some of these Ring of Honor people that he's got on his staff, Lethal, Seidel, Adam Cole. He could keep CM Punk and Brian Danielson in the AEWs. But, you know, please bring the Briscoes. Please bring Jonathan Gresham. Please bring Dalton Castle mm -hmm. and Matt Taven and, you know, Kenny King. Shane Taylor, and those are like uh, seven or eight names, and Silas, and give a little bit of the current Ring of Honor flavor, along with 
these legendary guys. And uh, I think I think it looks very promising. Would you also agree with the fact that it feels good having, I mean, your baby in the hands of someone who's actually a wrestling fan and not strictly just from a business standpoint? Because we've heard for so many times Tony Khan had gone to the ECW arena. He had been a big wrestling fan growing up. And I feel like... Oh, was he there like eight years old or something? Yes. And his parents, I almost want to say, what are you doing? But... um <laughs> Jerry and Mikey have told us stories about young children they were seeing there, and they said, "By God, the things we were doing." Yeah. He goes, "Holy cow!" He goes, "I don't think I would have my children back then, you know, coming here." But, yeah. but I, I digress. But, but having somebody like a Tony Khan who is such a fanatic and he is such, um, he's got that that energy about wrestling it's that phonetic energy that just kind of courses through them and it rubs off on other people and that's the type of people that keep this alive instead of just somebody who comes in from a business acumen and says well you know this is what we're going to do and therefore that energy as you were talking about that synergy dies when it doesn't emanate from someone who truly believes in it from the top absolutely and uh like once again, uh, we're in a better place with Tony and that's not to knock Joe Kopp. I said it before and I will say it again that, you know, the bullshit that he had to put up with, with lawsuits from wrestlers and assholes. And it's like, you know, Sinclair saying, what the fuck is this? Right. And, and no one thinks about that. But uh, all they do is, you know, it's not a popular opinion. Like if the if the boys heard this, they'd be like, oh, oh, Carol's whatever. You guys get it, and they get it too, but they forget sometimes. Everyone got paid during the pandemic. Who the hell got paid? Well, a lot of people got cut and lost their jobs, but we'll leave that for another conversation as well. Um, <laughs> it, it's it's something that I feel like really boils down to. What's your integrity? What's your integrity? And to take care of people, to take care of their families, make sure they have food on the table, even though it's a worldwide pandemic and this very well could be the nail in your coffin. Well, then guess what? We're going to die on this hill because we're going to take care of our people. And I don't think you could respect anybody anymore for doing something like that. It was, um, it was very special, very special. And I know a lot of people we've talked to said, I was lucky. I thought I was going to be out of a job, but you know what? I, I still continuously got paid as if I was working. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Just to wrap this up, I think we're going to have some exciting times coming up. I do know, because everybody knows that Tony said that he's going to be involved in the April 1st. Yes. The uh, Ring of Honor. We're going to be in Texas April 1st. The super card of honor. Are you guys going to Texas by any chance? Uh, I, if I could <laughs> afford it, I would <laughs> definitely go. Well, are, are you all? Come, I, I was say, are you offering there. tickets? Oh yeah, absolutely. If you come to, I mean, not plane tickets, but if you want to come down, <laughs> we're going to be at the Curtis Colwell Center on uh, Friday night at seven o'clock, and of course you got tickets. Um, 
And like with Tony's involvement, I think we're going to see something really special. For example, I'm just guessing. You got the Briscoes. We had the FTR thing at Final Battle. Mm. So that's just one little thing. <laughs> Maybe uh, since the Ring of Honor is doing the Hall of Fame and it's very nice of them to include me. I was going to mention Trump, that. The Briscoes and uh, Brian and Joe. Well, we got, we got, well, the Briscoes counting is one. We got four out of five. Maybe we'll have a little Hall of Fame ceremony. Send, send Punk and Brian down to wave hands and kiss some babies. So it's going to be a really good card. It's going to be exciting. There's going to be so much revealed within the next few days and weeks. It's going to be super exciting. I really appreciate you guys having me on here tonight. Absolutely. Um, it is an honor, uh, no pun intended, to get a chance to speak with you uh, about some of your career and your influence on the wrestling industry, especially with Ring of Honor as well. Is there anything oh. else? One, yes, one last thing. Um, I'm working, we've mentioned him three or four times. My cousin that was the editor of Metal Maniacs, Metal Edge, Mike G. Uh, we're working on my book, The Last Stop Penn Station. Ooh. And there is a podcast. We haven't done any episodes in a few months, but there is a back catalog of 75 podcasts. It's not... PG, it's not every episode, but we're talking about New York City in the 70s and 80s and 90s. You got to be real. Not, you know, partying with John Bellucci, Rush, Jethro Tull, not the band, the road crew, but uh, all kinds <laughs> of crazy stories. You know, this is New York City when, you know, it was, the, I was hustling tickets on the street. My friends used to say to me, Hey, Carrie, aren't you worried about getting busted? I'm like, no, I'm worried about the other guys working around me. But there's some really good stories. Last Stop Penn Station podcast, as you would say, available on all podcast platforms. And uh, hopefully sometime this year, towards the end, we'll finish this book. And uh, guys, next time, ROH please is in town or Texas or wherever, please come by and say hello. Absolutely. And if you, oh, ever, need, if you ever need anybody, you know where to find us and we would be more than happy in any way, shape or form to, uh, to be involved. So uh, keep us in mind. No problem guys. Thank you so much for tonight. You got it. Thanks we'll talk lot, to Carrie. you soon, Carrie. All right. All right. That is Carrie Silken. I mean, Wow, what a what a great opportunity! I, I would love to get a chance and do a part two with him as well, and just the stories that he has and the experiences. I mean, we could have gone down so many different roads, but I think one of the quotes that he had mentioned, which was really interesting to me, was sometimes you can't see the forest through the trees. And I think when you're so involved in something at the moment, you really don't understand the impact that you're making on an industry or on the people that you're working with until you step back and you remove yourself for a while. And then all of a sudden you're like, Oh wow. 
you know, it's in the moment you're so caught up in it. But when you take a step backwards, you realize, wow, this was really something special. And I think Carrie nailed it right on the head, just the epitome of, of what Ring of Honor symbolizes and how he is happy that it's going to continue. And hey, he sold us. I mean, there's going to be some amazing surprises coming up. Guys, this big Ring of Honor show that's going to be in the Curtis Caldwell Center, you know, the weekend of WrestleMania, I think it's going to be just absolutely fantastic. Man, I if I wasn't afraid of flying, I might sit there and consider. Wait a minute. You got a chance. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's back this train up here. You got a chance to sit down with Kerry Silken, pick his brain, have a good time, and you're trying to tell me, my bearded friend, that you are too afraid to fly on an airplane. Well, let's just put it this way. I'm probably going to look up uh, Philadelphia to Cincinnati, Cincinnati to where Dallas. Yeah. So see, see how much uh, how much it would, it would cost, maybe. A little trip ski going there? Uh, only if you go with. Hey, I tell you what. Shoot, I don't travel by myself. Um, the one thing I will also say, which which I don't think we got this on the on the show, but um he actually listens to our show too which is pretty cool and well um, well mike he hasn't listened to the show he listens to overbooked i literally i'm not gonna lie to you and 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 i don't know if it was shtick or he was just being super nice but i was like oh what wait wait a minute what's going on here but um, with that being said, more overbooked is, is going to be coming out this week. Uh, it's going to be available on all level of your um, platforms as far as podcasts can go. Um, the Freeland Five, another one came out today. And uh, you know what really sparked that? The Rit. The Rit was another reason. You guys, I don't think you realize this. The Rit has had a lot of influence on a lot of the programming that has happened. And you have empowered me to... You know, do this, Freeland. Go ahead and do this. You know, and, and I think I've questioned myself many, many times, but you have done an amazing job um, to say you're not by yourself on this ship. You know what I mean? You're in the cockpit mm-hmm. with me, and that helps tremendously, especially after the evolution, if you will, that we've gone through in the last year. So it's meant a lot. So I just want to let you know I appreciate it. Man, I, it's almost been a year. Hasn't? Isn't that crazy? Crazy. I'm not. I don't got the date down exactly, but I'm thinking in, in about the next week or two. We're gonna a year. To, we're gonna have to get grand, grandpa and grandpa out of the retirement home and uh, and bring them on again because I know people have been clamoring. Is there a chance we're gonna see the old boys again? And I, eh, we'll get the old boys back on again. Yeah, we're definitely gonna try. But man, uh, just listen to Carrie. Just listen to him in the beginning talking about, you know wrestling and you know what got him involved i loved it when i you know he was i was just sitting back and enjoying because it's like you could see his facial expression the tone in his voice like he was getting flashbacks of that was what it was was you know his enjoyment when he was a kid and i never thought never knew that madison square garden got back then 14 years old to get in yeah that's crazy you know heck they they should have had that on in in every ecw show (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. The rule.